listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pizza is not working podcast here to serve you up a nice hot slice of some pharmacy pizza pie. I'm your host, Dr. Candace Oloshala, and I just wanted to start off with this little PSA that RSV, COVID, and flu are still out in these streets. So please take care of yourselves. These viruses have not gone away, they are still here. They are. <laughs> filling up the hospitals like crazy, and we don't want you to get infected. And if you are infected, please don't cough on nobody, wear a mask, see your doctor, and get well soon. Oh, so with a little announcement, let's start with this fun news that we found out. On October 26th in the year of our Lord 2022, Walgreens posted on the Walgreens newsroom that they are sharpening their focus on patient care and experience, eliminating task-based metrics for pharmacy staff performance review chain-wide. They are taking another significant step to create a differentiated working environment. It reads that they are proud to take a strong position in the industry with this measure. One, they are taking due to feedback from their pharmacy team members and also as part of their commitment to pharmacy quality and patient care, which was quoted by Holly May, the executive vice president and global chief human resources officer at Walgreens Boots Alliance. They've continued to make investments to elevate the role of their pharmacist and to foster an environment that enables them to best care for their patients and customers, coupled with other infrastructure enhancements and technology investments. This allows their pharmacy team members to do the work they love and engage with their patients and communities in the way that they were trained. Now let's give credit where credit is due. Walgreens, on behalf of the Pizza is Not Working movement, those of us involved, those who are current workers at Walgreens, those of us that are former workers of Walgreens, we just want to say thank you for hearing us and wanting to make these moves because we are genuinely scared for our own safety behind the counter and the safety of those who have to be given medication from those of us behind the counter. So we are appreciative that this has been announced. We are appreciative that voices have been heard, concerns have been taken into consideration, and action is being implemented. Unfortunately, because people have been crying out for these changes for so long, There are many pharmacists who are, yes, celebrating, but others that are very skeptical. In fact, there was an Instagram page that reposted this article, and this was one of the comments, and it matched a lot of other comments, but I thought this hit 
the nail on the head most clearly. So it said Walgreens eliminated these metrics because their focus now is making money off of anything but prescriptions. My store has over 1000 scripts on the counter. So People are like, yay, wow, the metrics have changed. And when we say metrics, for those of you who don't work behind the counter or are not familiar with the world of pharmacy, there are different standards that are expected that are deemed important by the retail store that you work for. So whether that is the number of prescription fills in a day, that might be the number of vaccines you give in a day, that might be calling patients for this new program that they want people to sign up for. There's a bunch of different metrics and it changes from retail to retail to retail store and company. These metrics that they keep saying that they're going to eliminate, there's skepticism because there are new tasks that we've realized behind the counter do make the company more money. Filling prescriptions, if you remember from episode one, the pay for dispensing prescriptions, other things that we do as pharmacists, we're not getting adequately paid for those things. And so giving vaccines and there's other services that are available that pharmacists can do that make our retail stores more money. So they're assuming now a lot of pharmacists and technicians are assuming that these metric changes are to make room for those services that make the companies more money. The concern for that is that the workflow might change in how it looks, but the dangers behind the counter won't really be remedied. So I wanted to highlight this news story because this is our way of not only, yes, saying thank you to Walgreens, but also taking the time to say to Walgreens, please don't mess this up. We don't want to see this flop on its face. We don't want to see this end up being a just kidding. You're still going to be stressed out behind the counter. You're still going to have unsafe working conditions, but we're going to make more money. If that happens, we're going to send out the warning now. And this is a warning out of love and concern for the profession and the state of healthcare. This could lead to further loss of pharmacy workers and less people manpower to facilitate those areas that you might want to beef up. So hiring enough people for the manpower that you're probably going towards, increasing workers' pay, and allowing for a safe work environment to not only express concerns, but to make sure that what is going on behind the counter doesn't negatively affect the public as well in dispensing things that are not safe still. So... All of those things really needed to be said. Don't want to sugarcoat anything for anyone because this is a place where we're going to be real, honest, open, transparent about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So hopefully we can follow up more on this story in a later date and see what else comes of this progression in Walgreens' company. 
Today, I wanted to shout out Dr. LaCoya Johnson, who is a pharmacist. She's actually a life and leadership coach for growth-minded leaders. And I'm shouting her out because she just released a book called How Racism Manifests Inside the Small World of Pharmacy. I think this is a great topic that needs to be highlighted. It's not often talked about from the pharmacy perspective on how there is racism behind the counter. And so she actually had posted on her LinkedIn page about this. She said, if you could read your coworker's diary, would you? This week, I have the honor and privilege of speaking to a few black women pharmacy professionals about their lived experience. I knew my story was not a one-off, but every time I speak to another woman about their experience, my heart breaks again. Many of your coworkers are walking around traumatized and are afraid to speak up because they fear retaliation and for good reason. We all have watched colleagues get excluded, defamed, and blocked from promotional opportunities. This book is pretty much my diary. If you want to understand the lived experience of black women pharmacists and you are open to doing your part to lead above the status quo, get your copy today while supplies last. If you are a black woman in pharmacy, you are not alone. Your voice matters. Your life matters. Your health matters. To all the students and residents, be the change. No one had the courage to tell me the truth. Just know what you are walking into and I'll do my best to help you navigate. I survived so you can thrive. And to the pharmacy leaders, I know you don't have a clue what to do, so I got you too. The education you need is under accreditation as we speak. Thank you so much from one black pharmacist to another. And I know the leader of this movement of Pizza Is Not Working, Dr. Bled Tanaway, she would be just as excited about this. In fact, Dr. Bled has also released a book called Surrendered Motherhood. Please go and check out that book as well. That's on Amazon. So we just wanted to highlight these two powerful black female pharmacists who are also authors and just thriving. We are so proud of you. Thank you guys for sharing your stories. The conversation you're about to hear is with Ben Mudd, who is the executive director of the Kentucky Pharmacists Association, also known as KPHA. He discusses the update on the Board of Pharmacy regulation that was passed to redefine unprofessional conduct, while additionally talking about steps that KPHA is taking to improve workplace conditions, including how technician advancement and automation can improve those conditions. All right, Ben, so what exactly did you want to unpack for us today? Yeah, Candice, you know, uh, first, just thank, thank you for, for the invitation to, to join you today. And, um, you know, I, I think now is a good time to talk about an update to the Kentucky Board of Pharmacy's most recent regulation. They changed uh, to redefine unprofessional and unethical conduct as it relates to a pharmacy permit holder. Um, and, and then talk a little bit about some of the additional steps that we're taking to improve the workplace conditions for our pharmacy professionals. And then maybe take a, a look at how we can change the role of the pharmacy technician 
uh, and you know what the role of, of automation is to improving again improving those workplace conditions for pharmacists and technicians. Awesome. Okay, so what exactly is going on in the is the Kentucky Board of Pharmacy correct? Yeah. So back in um, I believe it was in June or July, the the Kentucky Board of Pharmacy held a they had a kind of a brainstorming session uh, in Louisville, and they ask for comments from, from various stakeholders and KPHA had, um, issued, uh, some comments to encourage them to consider, um, I guess, redefining or, or highlighting that unprofessional and unethical conduct do apply to, to permit holders. So in, in the past, Candace, they, we've seen, you know, if, if there's an error that occurs in a pharmacy, uh, each pharmacy in Kentucky has what's known as the, you know, a pharmacist in charge. So those within the profession understand that, but those outside may not. So that is a licensed pharmacist that that is responsible for the full control and safety of that pharmacy. Uh, and and previously, uh, if there something were to occur, a lot of the burden was put on that professional, that the individual. Uh, when when in reality is that that individual may not have any say so in the overall workings of that pharmacy how many how many technicians do they have um you know are they properly trained a lot of times that's beyond the control of the pharmacist in charge because they're working for you know a, a very large corporation uh that controls all of that from a central location so we we encourage the board to to relook at that and ensure that the permit holder, which is the business entity, right, that that owns the license or the permit to operate a pharmacy, be held either more so or equally liable than that pharmacist that again has has a has a little little control. They they should have more, uh, but does have limited control over some of those environments that they're working in. Uh, and and the board of pharmacy looked at that. And and honestly, Candace, they they could have probably taken action against a permit holder based off the current uh, statute and regulation that, that surround this, but they agreed that it, it was good to go in and and relook at it and really kind of put permit holders on notice that this is something that the board of pharmacy is considering and looking at to say, hey, look, it it, it the the entity itself, the business has a responsibility to make sure that stores are properly staffed uh, and that they are safely filling prescriptions and providing immunizations and pharmacist-based care. So how does that work for chain pharmacies specifically? Because, you know, if I'm thinking I'm a, I'm someone going to a pharmacy to get my prescriptions and you have the same pharmacy that I can find in any state. How can a state get a chain pharmacy to do something that they might not have done in another state, such as a certain number of staff members working behind the counter? Does that a conversation that the board would have to have with the companies at some yeah, point? So it you know, it would be my opinion that that the board could certainly uh, go out and and say this is 
you know, you have to have this many pharmacists or technicians to, to operate a pharmacy or a pharmacist can only supervise a certain number of technicians. And that that is, there are several states throughout the, the U.S. that uh, that require the, those ratios, we call them. Um, and, and I think if you, you know, you, you do this kind of work around the, the country, you know, there are still these same issues that happen in those states. So, with with every regulation that you change or law that you pass, there are always unintended consequences. And I think that's been the case in some of those states where, you know, you're limited. If, if the state says that I, as a pharmacist, can only super, supervise three technicians, maybe I could use a fourth and I could supervise them, but I'm limited by that regulation. So therefore, the employer or, or the entity would only giving me three because they're not going to bring in another pharmacist. Um, what, what this regulation does is it, it more or less says we're not going to tell you exactly what to do and it's not going to be pres prescriptive, but, but if, if you are, you know, having issues in multiple stores where patients, you know, errors are occurring um, and it's, and it's become clearly a system issue and not an individual issue at one particular store or location that that is dealing with one professional, which is the pharmacist or or their team, then that is unprofessional conduct. And if you don't do anything about it and you continue to let these errors occur and people get harmed, then that becomes unethical at that point. Mm. Yeah. So What's the current model in Kentucky then? You said you mentioned the term ratio. Can you unpack what the ratio is and why it's currently something that is considered maybe not the best ratio to have as a baseline um, regulation for pharmacies? Yeah, Kentucky does not have ratios. So, you know, I, I could, as, and when we say, you know, it's it's there. There's a, a lot of different ratios we could look at in pharmacy, but when we say that, most commonly, if we talk about ratios in pharmacies, when it comes to work environment, it's how many pharmacists or how many technicians can a pharmacist supervise at one time, um, and you know, it varies from state to state. Uh, but most commonly it's three, or maybe if the technician is certified, which is an additional process that the, the technician can go through to take a test, then maybe I could supervise four or five of them because they're more independent. Still need to be under the supervision of a pharmacist, but you know, there's some some um, small differences between general supervision and direct supervision and, and the, the certified techs can do more without a pharmacist directly supervising them. So that, that varies from state to state. And again, Kentucky doesn't have any of those. Um, you know, the, we have a kind of going into what are those additional steps that the association has looked at? We have a, um, a committee that this is their sole focus is to kind of look at this and provide recommendation. And when I say this, I mean the work environment that that is happening in community pharmacy and provide recommendations to our board of directors who then in turn can issue comments to our board of pharmacy on behalf of the association. And, and they've spent, a, you know, about a year trying to um, put forward a proposal um, to 
and they this was part of our official comments to the board of pharmacy that we want to see the board and it may not be our board of pharmacy it may be a higher level like the national association of boards of pharmacies that's the nabp look at what is the maximum productivity of the average pharmacist um, understanding that some can do more some can do less but what is that what is that upper limit that you and I as pharmacists should be expected to produce. And they did a really good job of outlining that, uh, of saying, you know, taking into account that all these services that pharmacists do, they're not all equal. So, you know, providing an immunization is not the same as filling one prescription. And they kind of outlined all of that. Um, that that recommendation still is is on, you know, pending, I guess, with the, the Board of Pharmacy. It's a tough, tough, um, tough one for them to do uh, from both um, a fiscal impact of, of trying to find the, the funds and the resources to, to do that study. And then how do you how do you take those numbers and come up with the solid number that fits a business model for, for every pharmacy in Kentucky? And one of the things we talked about is we looked at at what the FAA does with pilots. So they can only fly a certain amount of hours in a 24-hour period, and then they have to sit out for a certain period. And I think it's 12, don't, you know, I don't know the exact number, but they can only fly 12  hours in a 24-hour period. Or they have to take eight hour a break if they want to fly additional hours in that time. And you know, we we looked at that and it's like, how how did they come up with 12 hours? Like what, what was what was the process to figure that out? And they did some studies, you know, when did errors occur? And it may not be life-threatening, but at the end of the day, they just got the, the room full of professionals and said, What's safe? And 12 hours was the number. Um, so what is that number? How many, how many prescriptions should I be expected to verify per hour over a 30-day period? You and I have both worked uh in community pharmacies. Um, some days it might be double that because it's just crazy. And that that's that's the way community pharmacy works. But on average, we gotta have some down days to be able to regroup. Every day can't be going 150 miles an hour. Sometimes we gotta pump the brakes a little bit and look at that on the average basis. So again, that we're still working, you know, on that with the board. Um, and and it's uh it's government business, so it takes a long time to get things done as as we've seen. Uh, but we're we're still pushing for that and, and promoting, and hopefully the board will will take that up and consider it. I love this conversation of trying to figure out what would be the safe numbers because I think it's often talked about from a pharmacist's perspective that we need to make sure that what we're doing, you know, is going to be safe and effective to the patient, to the consumer. But in what you're saying, it's also a conversation about who is working behind the counter and what's safe for them to be able to perform their job and extend that safety that they have behind the counter to the public, right? And so I, I like that even to think about how many hours is a healthy number of hours in a week for someone to be putting out X amount of prescriptions based on the ratios of text to pharmacist and how many prescriptions their store generally fills and other duties that have to be done, just the baseline duties, not even, 
you know, there's other duties, especially at chain pharmacies where they just have these extra random things that they have people doing that aren't necessarily required in the context of performing pharmacist duties or performing technician duties. They might be something like call a patient and tell them about our new coupon or something or our new whatever, whatever program. That's additional. That's that's extra stuff that's not going to make or break the function of what's going on behind the counter for the patient to get what they need medically. That's just stuff to more promote the business itself. And there's other things like that. So to be able to even consider looking at those numbers, especially now post pandemic, not that they weren't necessary before the pandemic, but I think with the impact of the pandemic and how so much of the field has changed because of it or has amped up what it was doing before the pandemic, I guess. I think it's crucial to be considering what what are these safe number of hours? Because we have seen a lot of changes in number of hours that stores are open that don't reflect how long pharmacists and technicians are working anymore. They don't seem to match. There's a mismatch in that process. And that's why we're starting to see a lot more errors and concern and um, people are speaking up about it. So I think that's that's really cool. So how how is it that the Kentucky Pharmacists Association is teaming up with the Kentucky Board of Pharmacy? Like how how are they working together? What is the influence that a state association would have on a board of pharmacy in a conversation like this when it comes to statutes and regulations? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that goes back to the core principle of, of what a professional association is. Um, you know, we are we are nonprofit by our status with the IRS. But the reason that that exists is because a long, long time ago, um, our government officials realized that there is this need for the people to be heard. And these associations exist to be kind of the middleman between we the people and the government. And that's the role of the association is we we speak on behalf of the profession of pharmacy. And as at KPHA specifically, we represent pharmacists from every practice setting. It doesn't matter if you know we, we're representing folks that work in health systems that are doing ambulatory care, working in doctors' offices, also, you know, people that, that work in community pharmacies. We we represent people that own pharmacies. Uh, independently. And how does all of this impact? So we have to kind of bring all of that together and make sure that we are speaking with one voice as the as the profession of pharmacy. And when you do that um, in a way that's it's patient-centered, that's focused on taking care of, of the individuals that we serve, the the board and government entities in general tend to listen. Because we we are saying we on behalf of the profession of pharmacy, this is what we think is best. Um, and when you bring that voice to the table, they they listen. And and we're very blessed in Kentucky to have a very close relationship with our board, where they're they're willing to sit down at the table and, and discuss these issues with us. It's not that way everywhere, um, and and that's a, a 
relationship that we hold near and dear to our hearts. And we, we want to make sure that 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 stays strong for generations to come. Uh, because a lot of times boards of pharmacy, you know, they, they get, um, I don't know the, the, the right word, but they, they get influenced by other outside organizations. And that happens here too. You know, the, the corporations have their voice at the table as well, but we just have to make sure that we always keep that patient front and center. And, and I want to touch on a couple of things you said, you know, we, we have to make sure that our pharmacists feel empowered to do the right thing and say the right thing. So, you know, an example of, of how how regulations get changed and there's always unintended consequences. So we work with the board to to basically early or after the pandemic kind of started to, to slow down, we had pharmacies that were closed for days on end without any notification to their patients. Uh, we worked with the board and submitted some comments on how to how to address that. And we basically said after two days, you got to do something about it. So the unintended consequences, well, there's only so many pharmacists to work in these stores. They they shorten their hours that they're open to the public, maybe closed on weekends or, or whatever. And you would think, well, that's good. You know, that's allowing pharmacists to spend more time with their families. And But the reality is, is you're right. These, these people are staying. They're closing at six or seven. They're staying until 10 to get caught up. And that that goes back to is that unprofessional, unethical conduct? Like those pharmacists need to feel empowered to, to call the board of pharmacy and say, I'm being basically mandated to do this. And that's not safe. You know, that's not what the intended, that's not what the board intended to happen. Um, so we have to have people that are willing to step up. And, and I think, you know, the campaign that you guys have been a part of is, is helping people feel that. Uh, but we need more people to 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 call the board of pharmacy, and they don't know unless people file complaints. And that's that's the downside is that it's a complaint driven system. Uh, but we, you know, consumers, patients, pharmacists, if you see something that's wrong in a pharmacy, it's, we got to let the board of pharmacy know. But there's no action that they can take. Right, right. I think that's that's a very important to highlight. That also, those of you who are patients, consumers have family members that are complaining about what they're seeing behind the counter, encourage them to not only try to contact the company, which just to be honest and frank about it has been very difficult. A lot I've heard patients say, I'm trying to call the corporate offices of these chain pharmacies and the phone rings forever. It's like no one actually has someone to pick up. Um, but if you can't get to the, even if you could get to calling the corporations to say your concerns, go to the board of pharmacy as well, because the more that the board of pharmacy hears from consumers, their primary focus truly actually is to protect the consumers. They need to protect the public. They're a public health entity. So when the public says something, they have to address it. They have to speak up. So it's it's good to let people know that, yes, you can call the Board of Pharmacy. You don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to be a technician. You just have to see that there's a problem and that you have a concern about it. And you can let them know and report that so they can collect that data and say, we we are getting we we're getting information from the public that they're saying we don't feel safe. And this is a problem and it drives them more to act. So with 
KPHA, what what things are going on in that sector to say that the 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 model that we see on behalf of the various types of pharmacists and pharmacy um settings that we that we care about and that we we speak on behalf of what are the things that you guys are seeing as most important from KPHA's perspective to keep bringing to the attention of the board well i think some of the things that are top of mind for us are we have to address a couple of things. So one is reimbursement. Um, pharmacies are being under reimbursed for the services that they're provided from, from pharmacy benefit managers and health insurers. Uh, and that's a trickle down effect to, to the profession. So what, what chain drugstore A gets paid for a drug doesn't have a direct impact on the pharmacist you know, that's working as far as their wage is concerned. Now that that might be different in an independent pharmacy, but, um, but if they are chronically under reimbursed for the services they provide, eventually, you know, these companies are all for-profit entities and they have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders, not to their employees. So they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that that bottom line is as high as it possibly can be. And they're very good at their job because that is their job. So, but we need to, we have to address that as a profession and make sure that pharmacists are fairly reimbursed for, for the work that they're doing. And that would then allow these different entities to, to be able to financially be able to hire additional staff members. So that's, that's number one. Two is we're looking at right now, Candace, I think, if, just call this what it is, the the, the work environment issue. It's it's a chain pharmacy problem, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but whenever we see enrollment numbers in colleges of pharmacy that are the lowest they've been in, in two or three decades, it doesn't, you know, you don't have to, to be an economist to understand that there aren't going to be enough pharmacists to keep community pharmacies open if we continue on the trajectory that we're on. So we're looking at how how is this how is this dissatisfaction with the profession impact students that are in high school that are considering what they want to be when they grow up, and it's having a very negative impact because our colleagues are telling people don't go to pharmacy school. I would do something different, and we've got to change that narrative and say, you know, it's tough right now. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. Here are the good things that we're doing. We're helping a lot of patients. And I think people don't understand the role of their community pharmacist until they're gone. But we provide a lot of advice and care that people take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and when stores start closing, and, and listen, we got to have the chain pharmacies. They, they can't, if they all close tomorrow, we'd be in a pickle. It, it would be bad for patients. Yeah. Um, there's not enough, you know, entrepreneurs out there to take up, you know, people may disagree with me on that, but the fact is there's a lot of them in Kentucky. They all close tomorrow. It'd be, be pretty tough. Yeah. So we need them for, from an access standpoint. So how can we work with the entities themselves to try to, to address this? And some, some are willing to come to the table and some just aren't, but um, you know, those are the things that we focus on as the, as the association trying to look, you know, what's coming down the road in five, 
five, 10 years, what's the profession look like? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's good. That who it is, it is frankly a chain pharmacy issue. And, um, think that the struggle is, you know, we do hear a lot of conversation about, well, let's just get rid of the chain pharmacies. And I can understand where that sentiment comes from because it's their, the power that they have is suffocating to the profession overall. So Perfect. just wanting to get rid of them is a lot, but I I'm honestly with you on this from a public health perspective, because you know, when we have states like ours and a lot of states that have a lot of rural pockets of, of the state, the chain pharmacies do supply things that are very beneficial to those who already have low access to healthcare in general. And so to just have all those stores just shut down overnight would create an ungodly painful health public health crisis that Absolutely. no one would be prepared for it would be a disaster so that you know looking at it from both sides of that that coin it's like well like to your point of not having enough entrepreneurial power to do something like that, it would have to be a transition and it would take years to do safely, I think, mm -hmm. but to like encourage more students maybe to say, you know, maybe you don't work for a CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Publix, Kroger, whatever, but you aspire to open independent pharmacies or even those independent chains. There are things like that. People don't realize that you can have an independent chain um, and just go from, go to that angle and maybe encourage people to pour into the profession from that perspective versus assuming that their only real avenue is to go to chain or hospital. And like, that's it. There's so many more aspects of pharmacy that can be, addressed entered into and even innovative that we can maybe get a better conversation going versus saying it has to be either all this or all that but i'm i love that you said that um yeah. you had mentioned something about technician advancement and automation it's like what would that what what do you mean by those things and how would that even help with what's going on right now yeah so we'll just look at technicians real quick so just imagine before before covid the only person that could give a vaccine in a pharmacy was the pharmacist um as professionals we're like hey you know we're, we're the professional here but when was the last time that your doctor gave you a vaccine if you walk like they have medical assistants and nurses that do that so that's kind of how that's just one way of how technician technician, the, the role the technician has advanced. So now most, most of the time when you go get a vaccine, um, I wish I had some, some numbers to back that up, but you know, technicians are doing the majority of, of vaccinations in pharmacies now. Uh, and, and the board has, uh, they're looking at, at other options for, for things that like a technician right now can't take a transfer over the phone. So that would be one pharmacy calling another to get a, to 
a copy or a transfer of that prescription, uh, they're looking at allowing technicians to do that task. Um, maybe it's by fax. You know, we're not talking about controlled substances. These are just regular uh, kind of maintenance medications. Um, and, and there's a handful of other things that they're looking at allowing more technicians, if you have um, the, the proper training, to be able to do that to free up the pharmacist's time to, to do more clinical services and, and direct patient care. And, and automation kind of follows along the same line. So, you know, there we see more and more between artificial intelligence and robotics, the filling aspect of of dispensing a prescription, just putting the, the right pill in the right bottle. Um, you know, again, just being blunt, robots can do it better than humans if it's in the right environment. Uh, and that that scares a lot of our colleagues because they're like, oh, we're being taken over by robots. They can't fill them all. I mean, that that's the good thing. Um, but how, you know, I think that's that's tough for us as an association to look at too. Like, do we do we embrace that? Because and in the long term, it creates happier pharmacists at work because they're doing more direct patient care, interacting with patients and doing less, you know, technical tasks of putting pills in a bottle that, you know, we do, a, you and I know we do a lot more than that, but that's, that's what the general public thinks of pharmacists. And we got to change that. And you know, the only way you can change that is by not doing it anymore. Uh, but how did, how do you balance that of, of, not letting automation take over the entire profession of pharmacy and artificial intelligence. Same thing for technicians. We don't want to give, you know, technicians, you know, the entire profession and let them do all the professional tasks that we went to to school for six, seven, eight years to to do to get that knowledge uh, and those clinical skills to be able to do it. So how how do we balance allowing things to advance? while not allowing those same things to take over the profession uh, and ensure, you know, and protect the future of pharmacy and the pharmacist with that patient, protecting that relationship that you have with the patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point that fear or even it's expressed as frustration sometimes of the model of, either automation with AI or with technician advancement that there's also this pushback of pharmacists saying, well, why don't, why hire or advance technicians when you can just add one more pharmacist, right? Like that, like we come with enough power as ourselves that you don't have to necessarily do that. And I think it, again, it's not necessarily an all or nothing situation that there can be, yeah, maybe we do add that extra pharmacist while also adding in some automation while also advancing what's going on with technicians. So everyone has their tailored roles that aren't causing burnout and confusion and chaos and just making the system itself well oiled and and working flu fluidly through the pharmacy and and not feeling like one has to completely take over the other or if this is there it's replacing another aspect that's making the pharmacist feel like they're not really empowered the way that we're hoping these changes are going to empower them so 
from your perspective, then, do you see this, do you see these opportunities being possible within the next few years? And if so, how do you think that would, how do you think we would see that play out as far as how workers feel or even institutions do with enrollment and getting students to become pharmacists and and go out into the workforce, as well as how you might see the changes in a, from a public health perspective, from the consumers, how, how would these things benefit everyone involved in a positive way? Yeah. So I'll get out the, the crystal ball here and, 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 say what 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 I think the future is as you know just as myself I, I think Candace we're probably not at the bottom yet unfortunately um I think that the the past three years have had had a pretty negative impact on the the number of young people or people in general that that want to become pharmacists um and specifically in the community pharmacy setting which is not desirable right now uh, at the same time, so I think as that happens, I think that unfor- you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. I think that that automation will become more prevalent. Uh, more prescriptions will be filled outside of the pharmacy and delivered in. Um, I, I think, you know, good, bad, or indif- I, I don't know what it, which is best, but I think that's the trend we're going to see. Um, at the same time, I think as that's happening, pharmacists will become more respected. From the public standpoint, in our role in public health and as healthcare providers, uh, which then could, you know, I think we we see the kind of the bottom of this in in three years, maybe two to three years, things will level out, um, and and from there, we'll we'll see more people that want to to become pharmacists to be healthcare providers and be more involved in that public health perspective. And, and that's how the profession has always gone. You know, we're, we're both fairly new to this, but if you talk to, to some of the folks that have been around the profession for, for 30 to 50 years, it's ups and downs. Uh, we, we both have the same mentor in, uh, in our friend Joe Moore in Nicholasville. And Joe's retiring in a couple of years, but he's like, he told me early on, he's like, man, it's ups and downs. There are good times and there are bad times when there are times when nobody wants to be a pharmacist and there are times when everybody wants to be a pharmacist. Uh, and unfortunately, I think right now we're in one of those times where it's like, it's tough, you know, but it will come around. The profession will will still be around a uh, long, long time from now. And I think we'll rebound and be stronger because of it, but it is, it's in a tough spot right now. So you know, and I go back to the, I'll, I always go back and compare pharmacy to the, the airline industry, but we talk about automation. Like there, there are planes that can take off and land and flies from point A to point B without a person being in them. But boy, I sure like to have two people sitting in the front of that plane just in case something doesn't go right. You know, yeah. and I think that's where we'll be with pharmacy. Like, it, you know, there, it will become more automated, uh, but we have to have that professional that's, that's captaining the the plane so that it, when it when something goes wrong, we can come in and, and be there. So that that's kind of there are a lot of similarities, but uh, that's kind of where I, I think we what we're looking at. I love that, and I, I I thank you for your honesty as far as 
you know, it's probably going to get a bit worse before we really see the the improvements that we're working towards. And I, I think it's not just pharmacists that are talking about this. It's really healthcare as a whole. And I'm glad that the different pockets of the healthcare system are starting to be more transparent about their concerns from everyone's perspective, because I think it paints a bigger picture of not just what each entity in healthcare does, but how much we care about everyone's safety and ability to be healthy and thriving in what they do, whether that means they are the provider or they're the consumer of what's being provided. And and I think that's a fair ask from all of us trying to speak up and and use our voices and our professional knowledge to say, hey, like we love what we truly genuinely love what we do and we love why we do it. We would just love to make sure that we have the safety, efficacy, capacity, ability, autonomy to do just that. And if you work with us, if you hear what we're saying, then I think everyone at the table would actually enjoy the their plate better than they have been recently. So thank you so much for unpacking this for us today and just giving us a little bit of insight of what's going on in, in pharmacy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. And now for some real stories by real people just like you. This story was submitted by a former CVS pharmacist in the state of Florida. They wrote, I have been a retail pharmacist for eight years. I quit my CVS position one week ago because I couldn't take it anymore. I have learned so much about corporations and colleagues that could get us to better working conditions. I don't see that happening anytime soon, and I am burned out, so I had to quit. I am hopefully leaving the retail world for good. I love my patients and colleagues, but I could not deal with the company culture at CVS anymore. To the pharmacist that submitted that, thank you so much for sharing that story. It resonates a lot with mine as a pharmacist who left working at Walgreens after only a year and a half as a pharmacist, but five years with the company total because I too, as much as I loved my patients, I couldn't take the culture anymore. So thank you for your vulnerability and speaking up on behalf of those of us who have worked behind the counter. That wraps up today's episode of the hashtag pizza is not working podcast. There are three ways to get involved with pizza is not working, all of which have URL links with detailed instructions in the show notes for how to do just that. Number one, join your state's pizza is not working branch, either publicly or anonymously. Number two, submit a public or anonymous story or spotlight to be read on the show. And number three, apply to be a potential guest for this show. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just hope that you didn't burn the roof of your mouth with this one. Again, this is your host, Dr. Candice Olushala, closing up shop. Until next time, peace.